Well, the extent of Jesus' authority and the breadth of his love are both on stunning display this morning in Mark chapter 5, have been in Mark chapter 4 and 5. I'm going to invite you to turn there in your Bibles uh, with us because Jesus has just exercised authority over creation and the wind and the waves and that storm, over demons, the man who had a legion of demons. Today we'll see his authority over sickness and even his authority over death, what the Apostle Paul called the last enemy. But not just his authority is on display. In these chapters, we also see the breadth of his extremist love that Martin Luther King Jr. spoke of. He cares in that storm for his fearful, unbelieving disciples, for the extreme social outcast of the man with the legion of demons. And today we'll see him care for suffering women and children and their parents beautifully and powerfully. Jesus loves them all. The question for us then is, who then is this? And what does it mean for me to follow him? So let me one more time pray for us as we open the word together. Lord, have mercy on us now. May your word be as though it was for each one of us, for surely it is by your spirit we invite that now in Christ's name. Amen. So remember the disciples have been crisscrossing the Sea of Galilee, right? They've just been on a wild ride, the storm of their life, just barely making it across the sea alive. No sooner do they step onto dry ground when they encounter this wild, naked man with chains hanging from him, a legion of demons in him, and then a couple thousand pigs rush off a cliff. This has been one wild ride. And now they cross that same sea again, glad to get back to their side of the sea, the Jewish side. Verse 21 of chapter 5, when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. So a ruler of a synagogue was an elected official to an esteemed position by the people. And so this esteemed spiritual leader in humility falls down at Jesus' feet just like that demon-possessed man had done. And he describes his great sorrow, one that tugs at every father's heart. He's on the edge of losing his 12-year-old daughter. His, his only daughter. And yet he clings to desperate faith, the hope that a touch, just a touch from Jesus, could save his gravely ill daughter's life. And so Jesus honors that faith by going with him. Because Jesus cares when parents suffer. But then there's this interruption. Verse 24, a great crowd followed him, thronged about him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. 
and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. It was no better, but rather grew worse. So uh, many of the smart guys, right, the commentators, they think that her bleeding was likely related to her uterus. The significance of this is that she would have been rendered unclean by her disease, her ailment, according to the laws of Deuteronomy. And this would have been in such a way that it isolated her socially, not unlike a leper. Remember, we're back on the Jewish side of the sea now. Anyone who touched her would have been rendered unclean and they would have been banished from the community as well for a time of purification. Does that sound familiar? A lot of that going on today. It was transmissible to people and to things. Anything she sat on would have become unclean. So you're not getting a lot of dinner invitations with this kind of reputation. So for 12 years, she had likely been quarantined with no social contact. Likely no one had invited her to their home and nor would anyone have visited hers. 12 years. No one would have touched her for 12 long years. Almost no physical contact for 12 years. You thought four months without hugs was bad. 12 years. And says she had suffered under the treatment of many doctors, physically, financially, emotionally. One treatment after another fails her. And now she stands at the edge of the crowd surrounding Jesus. She is lonely, she is hopeless, she is sick, and she is penniless. But somehow word has come to her about what Jesus has done and that it's he who's at the center of the crowd's attention. She has an idea. If I just touch even his clothes, one of the other accounts says just the fringe of his garment. I'll be healed. This is stunning faith. So she steals through the crowd from behind so that he would not see her. And we read in verse 27, she'd heard the reports about Jesus. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. So this is a, uh, a pre-COVID scene, right? Um, this is like a like a political candidate working the crowds. This is like Coles on Black Friday kind of crowd, right? People are elbow to elbow around Jesus. And so it makes no sense to his disciples what he asks. Um, they say, who touched you? Who didn't touch you? But Jesus is intent on identifying her. And so in verse 33, the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. 
And be, go in peace, be healed of your disease. This is beautiful faith and integrity by this woman. I don't know about you, but she's someone that I would like to meet one day. Maybe we will. Maybe we will. But don't miss what just happened, okay? She declared her faith in Jesus publicly in front of everyone. And Jesus pronounces her healed in front of everyone. This would change everything for her. Everything would change. But just that Jesus would take the time to speak to her, to seek her out in this way, to pronounce even the likes of her healed. When he was already involved with a man as important as Jairus, as Jairus rather, and, and um, on a really important mission, a life and death mission, Jesus put a really important man and a really important mission on hold to deal with this woman, how she mattered to Jesus, even though she mattered to no one else. Kind of like the man with the demons, I suppose. And his power was sufficient for her too, and his care extended even to her as well. After 12 long, frustrating years, she found hope. Now, if you think about it a little bit, it raises the question, why the wait? Why wait 12 years? And honestly, I do not know. I truly do not know. But I do know that after 12 long years of hopes dashed and treatments failed and resources exhausted, she finds hope and healing in the power and the presence of Jesus where she could find it nowhere else. And maybe, just maybe, the wait was for us. Maybe it's for you. Some of you feel like you're in your 12th year. You're at the end of your faith's rope. And this story tells you don't give up hope yet. Hang on a little longer. This woman would tell you, you matter to Jesus. Even when you seem to matter to no one else. And his power will be enough for you even when no one else can help. And during all of this, Jairus apparently just waits patiently. I mean, the ruler of the synagogue waits without a word while a woman, a woman who couldn't even enter the synagogue occupies Jesus' attention. And all the while, his little 12-year-old daughter is lying in his house dying. It must have seemed like an eternal interruption to him. This brief side conversation with this woman. And then a messenger brings him the worst news imaginable. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? So his worst fears have come to pass. He has lost his little girl. Parents, I know you feel this. He lost his little girl. 
Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further, they say. They say, this is beyond even Jesus. There's nothing a teacher can do here. And in their mind, Jesus is a teacher. Maybe even a healer. But no teacher, no healer can help now. But Jesus is about to make a much greater claim. He's about to claim that he has authority even over death itself. This is no mere teacher, Mark is telling us. And then Jesus asked something seemingly impossible of this bereaved father. Overhearing what they said in verse 36, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. You notice again, Jesus has this uncanny ability to overhear conversations, right? He's listening when you don't know he's listening, right? And Jairus has already believed enough to leave his 12-year-old daughter on her deathbed and go and find Jesus. But now Jesus calls for a radical act of continued faith. Keep on believing when there seems absolutely no hope. Keep on believing because if you come to Jesus, there's always hope. Even, Even here, even now. So Jairus does the unreasonable the unthinkable thing he keeps believing even in the face of death and he takes Jesus to the place where his now dead daughter lies I don't know about you but this is another guy I'd like to meet one day Uh, maybe we will Jairus stands where many of us have stood just when you thought things couldn't get any worse they do And you're tempted to chuck it all and stop believing that God cares about you now. And if you're in that place today, Jesus' words for Jairus are also for you. Don't be afraid. Just believe. In verse 37, Jesus allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion people weeping and wailing loudly and when he had entered he said to them why are you making a commotion and weeping the child is not dead but sleeping and they laughed at him but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was they laughed at him knowing that she was dead Luke tells us As Jesus arrives at the house, he encounters uh, the sounds of mourners. Uh, Matthew in his account talks about flute players and a noisy crowd. These were likely professional mourners. Um, And Jesus makes this most puzzling statement because as Luke tells it, it's crystal clear that this girl's dead. But Jesus says she's not dead. She's only asleep. And as puzzling that is, let me give you two reasons that might lie, underlie Jesus doing this. One, it veils the miracle from those who are mocking him. Jesus regularly hides both his words and his works from those who refuse to believe. But secondly, it speaks of the power of Christ even over death. 
in the presence of the power of Jesus, death is merely sleep. It's like a nap. And so sleep becomes a very appropriate metaphor as we're about to see. Look at verse 41. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. So Jesus does the unthinkable here for any observant Jew. He touches a corpse. Jesus touches her, but rather than him becoming unclean, she is cleansed. Just like the woman with the issue of blood, which did not defile Jesus, but healed her. Just like his contact with the demon-possessed man and his visit to the tombs, it did not defile Jesus, but resulted in the cleansing of the man. Jesus makes the unclean clean. He makes the unacceptable acceptable. He makes the unwanted loved. And some of you today need Jesus' touch to cleanse you. Maybe you need healing. Maybe you suffer from something that's physical, or maybe it's more spiritual. Like this woman in her 12th year of suffering, you've tried everything else and you can't seem to get free from the habits or the memories that haunt your past. Jesus does the unthinkable here and by it he accomplishes the unimaginable, even the resurrection from the dead. Jesus can cleanse you from your sin. Let me urge you today, trust Jesus to cleanse you from the disease that plagues all of our souls. The Bible calls it sin. And Jesus would go on to die on the cross to free you and me from its life-robbing power. Pray and trust Jesus to cleanse you from all your sin. There are others of us here today that, that need his touch to restore our hope. You're like Jairus. You have believed and now it seems that things have gotten worse. Can I urge you, if that's you, if you feel hopeless today, find somebody before you leave here or somebody that you know and trust if you're watching online that will just pray with you. One of our leaders or a trusted friend that will pray with you for hope to believe that Jesus has not forgotten you. Because he hasn't. The people whose stories we've read in these chapters are lining up to tell you he hasn't forgotten you. The disciples in that storm weren't forgotten. That man living among, with demons among the tombs wasn't forgotten. Jairus, the grieving father, was not forgotten. This nameless woman was not forgotten who had suffered all these many years in so many ways. They will, every one of these will line up to tell you that you are right to cling to hope in Jesus. He has not forgotten you. He never will. You matter too much to him. 
I love the way um, Professor Edwards put it. He says, uh, Mark 5 might be called the St. Jude chapter, the saint of hopeless causes. For the garrison demoniac, for the menstruating woman, and Jairus each find hope in Jesus when all human hopes are exhausted. I love the way the prophet Isaiah puts it. He says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And here we see, so whether, whether outcast or prominent citizen, whether male or female, young or old, facing sickness or sin, loneliness or even death itself, like the people in these stories, we too need Jesus. And we too matter deeply to him. And he has authority enough for us and for whatever we're facing. Now the last encounter we want to look in on briefly today is one of the most puzzling and sorrowful passages I think in the whole New Testament. We'll we'll just look at a few verses in chapter 6 before we close. Starting in verse 1. Jesus went away from there, came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things what is the wisdom given to him how are such mighty works done by his hands is this not the carpenter son of mary and brother of james and joseph and judas and simon and are not his sisters here with us and they took offense at him and jesus said to them a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. So Jesus goes to his hometown and you would expect a parade, right? If Jesus comes to his hometown, you would expect a parade. It'd be like if Arnold Palmer, who played his his college golf here in Wake Forest, had come back to Wake Forest before he died. There would have been a parade for Arnie in Wake Forest. Um, But there's no parade for Jesus. To the contrary, they're offended by Jesus' high and lofty words and deeds. They take umbrage at him. As Eugene Peterson puts it, they got their noses out of joint. Who does he think he is, they're saying. After all, we know his family which means Jesus had a family with brothers and sisters and evidently his family were regular folk like everybody else. He is just the carpenter's son and they were scandalized by him. Professor D.A. Carson says that it's sad that every time in the New Testament somebody is scandalized by someone, that someone is always Jesus. People familiar with Jesus those who knew him their whole lives, they are the ones here who are scandalized by him. So be warned, longtime church attenders, those of you who grew up in the church especially. Professor James Garland warns us, he says, does familiarity with the stories about Jesus breed contempt for you? 
Has, this story, has his story become humdrum? Have we lost our sense of awe? We must guard against the attitude that beset the synagogue of Nazareth. I already know him from the Bible stories of my youth. What they have done is they have refused to exalt Jesus above themselves. Rather, they want to keep him just one of them. Just the way they knew him growing up. He can't be their superior. He's not their king. He's just the carpenter's son. So they refuse to exalt Jesus above them and they refuse to bow down before him as king and they take offense at him. And we can do this too, you know. When we make Jesus just another opinion we consult, just another source of input to be considered, but ultimately we'll make our own choices about our lives. Thank you very much. And that's so very dangerous. When Jesus is not treasured above us and all others, when he's not obeyed above us and all others, when we want to treat him just like any other teacher or poet or philosopher that we consult from time to time, maybe even as our favorite go-to teacher. If he's not King Jesus, with all that means, then the kingdom will be hidden from us as it was hidden from them. It's interesting, verses five and six say, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. The mighty works were the signs that pointed people to the kingdom and Jesus did not give it to them. It's a parable-like act. When they reject Jesus, he teaches them in parables, cloaking the truth from them. When they reject Jesus, when they take offense at him, he doesn't unveil the works of the kingdom in plain view for them to see. And as a result, Jesus never returns to Nazareth again. Who then is this? And what does it mean for you to follow him? Let's pray. Jesus, help us. Help us to see you in the fullness of your authority, the breadth of your care. Help us realize that we'll never be anywhere, we'll never be anyone where these things are not true for us, that you are Lord and we matter to you. You love us. So Lord, we're all in different places, different places in our world, different places in our relationship with you. Help us trust your authority. Help us embrace your care for us. Jesus, this we pray in your great name. Amen.